0: So we are starting up a new series uh, called Ghost Stories. Um, and in Ghost Stories, we're going to work through the book of Acts, um, paying a special attention to, uh, you know, the events of Pentecost um, and look at all the ways that the Holy Spirit was, um, was inspiring and enlivening uh, the ministry of the early church. Um, We're going to look at that ministry and and think about what it looks like for us in 2019 to live spirit-filled lives together as the church. Um, And today we're in uh, Acts chapter 1. uh, But the thing to remember about the book of Acts um, is that it's not a standalone book. Um, So Acts 1 uh, begins with the words, in my former book, which is an indication that there is a former book, um, and luckily we have that book too, it's the Gospel According to Luke. Um, so the Gospel According to Luke Luke, and uh, the book of Acts, they work together as this sort of two-part anthology of the life and times of Jesus Christ the Messiah and, um, and then the acts of his apostles there in the first century. So in order for us to, uh, to be in the right mindset as we read the book of Acts, um, we need to go back to Luke. Um, there are things that Luke writes in the book of Acts that he assumes the readers have already read the gospel according to Luke before, before it's said. So if we go back to um, actually our text from last week... Luke chapter eleven, um, and this week we're going to really focus on the very uh, last part of that section, where Jesus says, "Which of your, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven?" Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The assumption that Jesus makes here and that Luke makes here is that we want to receive the Holy Spirit. And I think as we get further into uh, this study of the book of Acts, we will um, discover more and more why uh, we want to receive the Holy Spirit. But I've sometimes wondered if the thing that, that holds me back from fully embracing uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit in my life is that I don't really want to receive it. Because we live in the Western Hemisphere in 2019 where the assumption of our culture is that we are self-contained problem-solving, future-creating machines. And to receive God's gift of the Holy Spirit takes us out of the driver's seat. In order to receive the Holy Spirit and to desire to receive the Holy Spirit... You know, like Brian said, it's it's this this process of learning how to open our heart and our soul and our mind to God. It's it is the the active process of taking ourselves out of the throne of our lives and inviting God to sit there. As we look at the the disciples after. It's in my head now. As we look at the disciples here at the beginning of the book of Acts, at the end of Luke, um, we see them in a time of incredible anxiety. If we look at at the end of Luke, um, we see on Good Friday, Jesus dies and, and there's anxiety because the question is, what comes next? Is Jesus going to be who he said he is? Is he really coming back? Is Jesus going to keep that promise? Is he actually the Messiah? And then he does come back. He does rise again on Easter morning. And there's incredible excitement and thanksgiving. But now we're getting to Acts chapter 1 where Jesus ascends. And a whole new kind of anxiety crops up. Because Jesus, who has walked with them and led them over the last three years, teaching them his ways and the ways of God, is no longer physically present. But he's promised that another will come. Uh, Jason Vickers, in his book, Minding the Good Ground, uh, he writes that the truth is that very little is known about the disciples' lives from the time of Jesus' ascension to the day of Pentecost. We do not have diaries or other firsthand accounts of what the disciples were thinking and feeling at this strange time in their journey. Yet what we do know is instructive. Having lost sight of their beloved Lord, the disciples held fast to Jesus' promise. That his father would send another to teach them all things and to empower them for mission and witness throughout the world. Indeed, the fact that the disciples are doing exactly what Jesus commanded them to do is evidence that they continued to trust Jesus. And on the day of Pentecost, they were tearing together there in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 1, we read these words that in those days, Peter stood up among the believers. I'm in the wrong section. I'm sorry. Uh, We read that on one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we see the disciples, their, their preparation for the Holy Spirit is to be obedient to what Jesus told them. This week I was thinking about um, the, the days right around when Solomon was born. Um, you would think that, that by your third kid you'd know what's going on. But I didn't. Um, You know, when a baby is coming, you feel completely out of control. Because the baby will come when the baby wants to come. I mean, I remember, you know, in that week before Solomon was born, um, you know, we're counting contractions and writing them down on a sheet of paper, right? Like, oh, okay, this is number 17 this hour, but they aren't long enough yet. Oh, this one's, you know, we've only had six this hour, even though they've been long enough. And, you know, you you keep waiting for that perfect moment, and it doesn't come. And there's an anxiety that comes with that. Like, why, why aren't things coming as quickly as we want them to? I remember uh, two days before Solomon was born, we were sure that was going to be the day. Um, it was uh, really warm that day, so we said, let's go to Tuttle Mall, and we're just going to walk laps until your water breaks. It didn't work. We were just exhausted by the end of the day. And I remember the, the actual uh, uh, morning that, that Cindy went into labor, I had given up all hope. I said, this kid is never going to be born. So Cindy goes to bed at you know ten thirty or 11. She says, come to bed soon. I think this is the night. And it's like, oh, I've heard that before. So I stayed up till like 3 a.m. playing video games because I was anxious. Went to bed. My head hit my pillow. An hour later, she wakes me up we got to go to the hospital right now. And as I put myself into the mind of the apostles, I have to wonder if that's not where they were. We don't know exactly how long the time frame was from when Jesus ascended into heaven and the day of Pentecost. You know, the Bible doesn't say, it says some days later. But you have to wonder, some of the people there in the room must have started to feel like it's never going to happen. Like, we're going to continue to be obedient because, you know, Jesus keeps his promises and it will happen, but oh, it didn't happen today. I was sure today would be the day. We walked laps around Tuttle Mall waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, but today was not the day. In verse 7, Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And at this, Jesus was taken out of sight and into the sky. So they waited. They gathered together at the house that they were renting in Jerusalem, and they prayed, and they waited. They prayed, and they waited. And, and, And especially coming from Luke... Which is the gospel where Jesus is performing miracles like it's His job. The disciples have a certain le- yeah, because it is, right? Yeah, I know. Um, the disciples have a certain level of excitement about what it will look like to experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives the same way that Jesus did. But there they are. They're praying and they're waiting. Praying and waiting. And even with seeing Jesus perform miracles, even with seeing how Jesus is different than everyone else and wanting to be like that, I have to imagine that some of those disciples... still weren't sure if they actually wanted to receive the Holy Spirit. Because they knew that meant that they would not be in control in the way that they were used to. They knew that meant that they would be giving a new level of authority to God in their lives that they hadn't experienced up to that point, even as disciples of Jesus. So they prayed and they waited. And I think it's it's good for us to use our holy imaginations to to put ourselves into that position and, and ask ourselves the same sorts of questions that the disciples would be asking. How long am I willing to wait? How committed am I to receiving the Holy Spirit and how that's going to change my life? Does God really need me to be a part of this revival or can I go back to fishing? And I hope the answer is that that yes, like revival is exactly what we want. Because I don't know about you, but I look around our community and I see a bunch of people who are stressed out and freaked out and hopeless. And for the church to have better programming doesn't fix that. For me to preach better sermons doesn't fix that. You know, for uh, for ignite to get uh, bigger, cooler inflatables doesn't fix that. If we want to see people's lives transformed, that's going to be dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we don't need a small fix. We need revival, and it's not just at Trinity. It's 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 around the the country and around the world. Last week we had two acts of terror, one in El Paso, one in Dayton, within a 24 hour period. You don't fix that with a band aid. We need revival. We need the Holy Spirit to show up and to show out and to do the sorts of things that we see the early church doing in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 3, in Acts chapter 4, in Acts chapter 8, in Acts chapter 11, in Acts chapter 13, 16, 17. Because there's no easy, small, humanist solution to the problems that we are facing as citizens of this country as people living in Grove City as as you know global citizens wanting to see a more just and equitable and kind world we need revival the world needs revival And the question that we continually need to ask ourselves is, are we ready for it? Do we want it? Do we want God to show up and to to bring about a more kingdom-like world if that means that we lose personal control? If that means that, that, that we need to, uh, that we'll be called to do things that we don't feel are in our own self-interest. If that means that we're going to be called uh, to love people that we really don't want to. If that means that we're going to be called to go places that we're anxious about. as i turn on the news and like we ju- the the whole enlightenment and postmodern project has failed we haven't created the perfect society that we hoped we could we are more dependent now than possibly ever before and in need of the Holy Spirit bringing revival to our land. When uh, the founder of our movement, uh, John Wesley, was asked, uh, what's what's the point of Methodism? He said, it is to uh, spread scriptural holiness through the land. It wasn't, you know, well, we want to make the Anglican church bigger, because, you know, he was an Anglican priest. It was a renewal movement. It was. We want to see our world transformed by a people who are spreading holiness. So, in a moment, uh, uh, I'll be done, and um, and before Rosemary plays our final song. Um, I encourage you to take a moment and ask yourself the question, do I want to see the land healed? Do I desire revival in my own life and in the lives of those around me? if we go back to Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells us that God is a good father. That if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more so will God give the Holy Spirit to those who desire it? The key to revival, the key to seeing the kingdom of God be present here in our midst is our desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to live fearless, selfless lives for Jesus. So let's take a moment. Let's examine our own hearts. Are we truly interested in revival if we count all the costs. Now let's pray together. Oh Lord, we live and move and have our being through the generosity of you. And Lord, we confess that there are times when we have convinced ourselves that we can figure this out. That we can solve the problems inherent to the pride and selfishness and fear that comes with living in society. But Lord, we recognize the reality <clears throat> that we need you. That we don't need better programs, that we don't need more stuff. What we need is you. Lord, help us to trust you more. Give us the courage to open up new rooms within our hearts that your Holy Spirit can occupy. Lord, give us the courage to take ourselves off the throne and to put you where you belong. Lord, we want revival. We don't have time to play church. Our world doesn't have time for us to play church. We want the kingdom. Lord, give us the courage to receive it. And we'll give you the honor and the praise and the glory for you are worthy. Amen.